Who's happy to be here? It's a good day to be at church, be around the Word of God, sing to a holy God. Uh, does anybody else halfway tear up on that bumper, that video? Like every time, that a boy, I'm just like, way to go, man. It's like that to me is uh, really kind of the essence of, of why we're talking about keeping your eye on the ball over the last several weeks is because one day we want to stand before a holy God and we want to hear him say, that a boy. In other words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we are in a series called Keep Your Eye on the Ball. If you've got a Bible, let's go to Acts chapter 4. We'll be there in just a minute. A couple of really awesome things happening today in the life of our church. The first thing is that today is the last day that our Knoxville location will be meeting in the school. Yeah, big stuff. Next Sunday, they will be in the movie theater. And so it is uh, looking great and uh, a lot of last minute uh, things happening there, but they're super excited. And I know you are as well. And then also today uh, begins a, a day that for our church to begin to help you connect in ministry. And today we're highlighting our next gen team, specifically our kids team. And so if you're someone who loves kids and wants to help uh, raise the next generation and pour in the gospel and love of Jesus into them, we want to encourage you to go to the Connect Center today. Uh, we uh, would love to have you connect in that ministry especially in the summer because so many people travel. Uh, the summer schedule uh, changes just a bit. And so if you would just you know, serve once a month, that would be incredible uh, to pour into those kids. And so uh, stop by and see my lovely wife. Uh, she'll be out there and love to connect with you. Uh, the, the ball in the series, when we're saying keep our eye on, in other words, we're saying we've got to focus on something. What is that something? Well, our purpose is to love God and to love others by sharing the message of Jesus Christ, by sharing the gospel. And so we love people best when we're sharing with them the truth of the word of God. We know we are called to be a witness. Uh, last week, we talked about the message of reconciliation. This is something that we have experienced. God has reconciled us to himself. And so we have been given this message of reconciliation to be an ambassador for Christ. In other words, we're representative of Christ and his message in this world. And so it's important for us that we recognize and realize that God is calling us to share with our family and friends and neighbors the incredible truth of the gospel, to share what Jesus has done in our life, this message of hope that Christ died so that men and women might live. And so we've got to keep our eye on the ball. Uh, when Jesus first called the disciples, uh, you remember uh, what he said to them. He said, uh, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. In other words, he was, he was telling them, they didn't understand it, but he was telling them that I'm going to develop you. I'm going to make you. You're going to be changed into someone who is fishing, in fact, for men. And so when Jesus called them to follow him. When he called you to follow him, he gave you a mission. Jesus said that his goal was to make you, to make me a fisher of men, that we would be focused on, that we would not be afraid of the message that Jesus uh, has given to us to, to, to share that, to make disciples with people who are far from God. And so the moment you became a follower of Jesus, he gave you this 
mission. And I know that when I uh, became a Christian, I was mainly trusting in Jesus because I wanted to go to heaven. I knew that I was a sinner. I, I knew that Jesus was the answer. And so I trusted him and, and he saved me. And so a lot of us, most of us, all of us really, when we come to faith in Christ, we're coming to faith for selfish reasons. We want forgiveness. We want God. We want heaven. And so we don't really understand what it means to be a fisher of men. And that's just part of it. But somewhere in your relationship with God, some of you have been Christians for years and you still haven't grasped the fundamental goal of why Jesus saved you in the first place. And that is that he would develop you, that he would make you, that you would allow him to change you from the inside out, to care about the things he cares about, to love the things that he loves, and that you would in fact be on mission with God. Right? That's an opportunity. It's a command that Jesus has given to us. Um, I know a lot of people who are so compelled by this mission that they sold everything that they had and they've moved overseas to plant churches and to reach people for Jesus Christ. I know people who this message was so gripping and so compelling and so awe-inspiring that they left their secular job and they committed to serve God full-time. I know young people in high school or even in middle school or in college who at some point recognized that this message is so important and valuable that they felt the call upon their heart and their life to say, you know what, I wanna pursue full-time ministry. This is what God has laid on my heart. So I've seen that over and over again, time after time. And See, the reality is your friends, your family members, this world is counting on us to share this message. And that's why we can't be silent. It's why we can't be silent. Some of us have been silent our whole faith journey. And it's time to break down those fears. It's time, it's time to break down that selfishness and inward focus and, and go full board, full out, keeping our eye on the ball. We cannot be silent. Here's the problem though. Statistics tell us, um, and this is from George Barna. He does a lot of research in America on Christianity. And this is what he recently found. He, he found that Christians in America have less than 10 spiritual conversations a year. In other words, for most Christians in the U.S., topics of faith come up less than once a month. Less than once a month. And we wonder why our country is where it's at today. We wonder why there are so many people far from God today. Well, obviously there's been generations of Christians who have either been so selfish or uh, haven't cared or don't know, you know what it means to be a follower of Jesus who are claiming to be Christians, right? All, uh, tons of issues and problems probably. But at the end of the day, you and I, this is an indictment on us that, once a month, less than once a month, we're actually talking about the savior of the world who has saved us and given us heaven. It's a problem. It's an issue. Um, I know one of the things is like, okay, how do I do that? And so at FC, we have had multiple classes and multiple opportunities for you to learn this. The next opportunity is in one of the summer Bible studies I'm gonna lead that we're calling Tactics. We've got a book, we've got resources. Um, we're, gonna, we're gonna spend time 
talking about how we can actually have spiritual conversations in this world today with all the host of issues that are going on. And so I hope that you'll join us. You can register today for all of our summer Bible studies. You can go to our website. Uh, Connect Center folks can help you as well. Uh, But in Acts chapter four is where we wanna be today uh, to get some inspiration. And so in Acts four, the beginning of the chapter, the context really is that Peter heals a crippled man. And uh, when, after he heals this man, he gets a lot of attention. He starts teaching people about Jesus. And as he's teaching people about Jesus, then he gets arrested. And so he is arrested and he's taken to jail uh, for preaching the gospel, but not before. Uh, It says that 5,000 men uh, had come to faith in Christ, which is incredible. Um, But that was just the counting men. That doesn't count the women and the children that also came to faith. And so um, roughly, you know, a few weeks after Jesus has resurrected, the church had gone from 150 people to now uh, it could, could be like 10 to 15,000 people have come to faith over uh, the, 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 the few months uh, following the resurrection of Jesus, which is incredible. It's what we know can happen when the Holy Spirit moves in a powerful way. And pray that we would see that here in Maryville, pray that we would see that in Knoxville. Um, so they're arrested and then they stand before, Peter and John are, are standing before the Supreme Court, essentially, of the Jewish world. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. So he's not taking credit for anything. He's not saying, look at me. He's focusing, filled with the Holy Spirit, on the reality that it was Jesus that did the saving. It was Jesus that did the healing. He's saying, you you are the guys. I mean, it's the exact men who weeks earlier condemned Jesus to death. The same guys. I mean, think of the boldness of him saying this. And, 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 and I imagine what was his demeanor and what was his tone? And I doubt he was belligerent. I doubt he was like off-putting. I, I doubt he was, you know, arrogant about it. What we see though is filled with the Holy Spirit, boldness to say, yeah, the guys that you crucified a few weeks ago, it was by his name that this man is standing before you well. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. You rejected him as the Messiah. You rejected him. The builders, which has become the cornerstone. He's referencing an Old Testament um, passage foretelling the, the coming of the Messiah. Jesus is the cornerstone. In other words, he's the foundation of God's plan for salvation. And he says there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I wanna give you three reasons why we've gotta keep our eye on the ball as a church, as a, as, as, as a people of God. And the first one is very simple. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can save you. And he says, and there is salvation in no one else, no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. That means there's no other name that can give you heaven. There's no other name that can give you a relationship with God. There's no other name that can give you forgiveness. There's no other name that can heal your marriage. There's no other name that's gonna heal the nation. There's no other name that's gonna be able to heal you physically, heal you spiritually. There's no other name that's gonna give you purpose. There's no other name that you're gonna have hope. There's nothing else that this world has to offer outside of knowing Jesus that will give you meaning and purpose in this life. There's no other name. And that's huge for us when we talk about keeping our eye on the ball because if there's no other name, that means without Jesus, people die and go to hell. That is a reality. That means your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers and random people that God brings into your life or into your week who are on their way to hell will in fact die and go to hell if they do not have an opportunity then to receive Jesus, to trust Jesus for salvation. There's no other name. It's, a, it's paramount that we understand this re- reality. This is the gravity of the situation. Our salvation is not based on your performance, how well you do. It's not based on how well you follow certain rules or check boxes. Salvation doesn't depend upon the Ten Commandments. Our salvation is only determined by Jesus. Uh, Relativism is a popular uh, understanding and philosophy of life in our culture today. Uh, Relativism simply means that everything is relative, right? And so you do what you think is right. I'll do what I think is right. You do you. I'll do me. Your truth is your truth. My truth will be my truth. And that kind of sums up our culture today. Uh, People say things like, "Who, who am I to judge what you do with your life? Right? I'm not the judge. You do whatever you want to do. And so Americans celebrate that individuality and we value that we can, we can become or have whatever identity that, that we simply want to choose. A, a few more examples from statistics uh, from George Barner are helpful. He says that only 35% of Americans agree that moral truth is absolute. 44% say it's relative. 21% admit to never, never, never even thought about it. So let's focus on this. 35% of Americans agree that moral truth is absolute, only 35%. That means the the remaining percentage, the large majority of Americans believe that there are no absolutes. There are no moral absolutes. So what does that mean? As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, we believe that, that God creates and sets the standard for what is right and what is wrong. He has identified to us what those standards are in what we call the Bible, right? 66 books written over hundreds and hundreds of years Uh, multiple authors, all teaching and sharing the same message. And so that's our standard. That's what we believe. And so we can can say uh, that there is an absolute moral uh, belief that murder is wrong based on what God's word says. We 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 can say that murder is always wrong. We can say that sexual abuse is wrong. We, we can say that abuse of any kind is wrong. Why? Because God tells us 
what right and wrong actually is. But think about it. If you're dealing with people that don't believe in God or don't believe that God's word is from God, right, that, that, that morality is relative, you decide you, I decide me, then, then that person can't, can't really look at what Nazi Germany did and said, oh, killing millions of Jews is, is, is wrong. They might say, oh yeah, that's definitely wrong. But, but you, you can push them and say, well, why? Why can, or how can you say that's wrong if, if, if everything is relative? It, that was their truth. They thought that was right. They thought they were doing God's work. They thought they were doing the right thing at that time. And so you can, that same logic then can apply to everything. Sexual abuse, you know, abusive children, slavery, racism. There, there's no standard, therefore it's all relative. And, 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 and so as a result then, there's no ground for anyone that doesn't understand the Bible or, or believe that there is a moral higher power in God to really stand on, right? And that's part of why we see so much trouble and, and, and so many differences of opinion today because, because if your truth is your truth and you decide what you want to decide, I decide what I want to decide, and we're all, you know, great until I decide that your life isn't valuable, <laughs> Or, or somebody else decides that life isn't valuable and decides to conquer them and to take over. To take, see, you, you see the point. So as Christians, we believe in moral absolutes, right? All right, another stat. 91% say the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. <laughs> Whew, that's a problem. Because when you read the scripture, we see that we have a sin nature and no one is righteous, no, not one. The scripture says that the very best that we can do is like a filthy rag before God. So if you are believing and trying to find who you are, your identity by looking within yourself, you're only going to find more selfishness and sin. You have to look to God and who he says that you are. Another stat, 79% say people can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. Now that's illogical. Because everything you believe affects society. Everything you believe affects everything that you think and say. If you believe abortion is okay, that, that affects every part of who you and how you value certain people, right? Um, in the 60s, really 50s and 60s, when the sexual revolution really began and it was kind of this, have sex with whoever you want to, whenever you want to, right? And, and, and so that flourished and, and that thought process was, I'm not harming anybody if I, if, if I participate and do this with this woman or whatever. And so I'm not bothering anybody. Let me be me, right? And so that was established, which, which then led to the breakdown of the family and divorce became something that was acceptable in our culture and, and um, uh, uh, drugs that you know, prevented pregnancies began to be a thing. And so all of this began what we know now was a breakdown of the family. And, and at that time it was, I'm just gonna be me, right? I'm not bothering anybody. Well, you, they were in fact destroying society because broken families and, and disease and, and uh, unwanted pregnancies began, which then led to abortion and you know, that just followed into, you know, this gay movement that was like, hey, we just want to love who we want to love. We're not bothering anybody. Just, just accept us. Let us do what we want to do. And then it was, okay, well, we want to get married and let's redefine what marriage is. And, 
And then it was like, okay, that happened. And then continual breakdown of the family, which then that led to where we're at today, which is now this trans movement. It's like, oh, just believe what you want to believe as long as it doesn't affect society. Everything that you believe in affects society, affects your family, affects your community, right? So this is an illogical false belief. I mean, it's doesn't make sense. 57% say that whatever is right for your life or works best for you is the only truth you can know. Have you ever been a teenager? There were a lot of things that I believed as a teenager that I realize now were just completely stupid, right? Have you ever looked at a toddler and and seen a toddler run around and, and do some really dumb things like you know, stick forks into uh, plugs or outlets and, and want to touch hot things. And like, if, if you only, you know, believe that what I think is right for me now, if you believe that, you know, that it, you are the supreme, like, author of what is right for you now, if that's your belief, man, you are in for a lot of pain in your life. That's why as Christians, we don't rely on what what our heart says or what, what I believe or what I think is, is right. I continually, even as a Christian now for years, I, I struggle with that sin nature and what I want to do. And, and I've got to go back and fall on the word of God and be convinced by the Holy Spirit that his way is better. His way is the way of righteousness. This is an incredibly painful and, 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 and damaging belief. And then finally, 60% believe it is extreme to attempt to convert others to your faith, right? It's extreme, right, that you would convert or, or want to convert someone. And so this is the thing that I think is intimidating uh, to Christians. Like we're afraid of, of, of this because we don't want to be pushy or whatever. But what I want us to see is that Peter is not arguing with this council, right? He's not arguing. He, he's, in fact, I, I'm sure that the, the posture is, is like, look, I don't know everything. I don't have it all figured out, but here's, here's what I know. There is no other name. There's no other person given to us from heaven by which a person can be saved. Do whatever you want to do with that, but I'm going to be bold enough and we have to be bold enough and we have to have the courage to say what is true from the word of God. And I'm not giving it, getting into a political argument with you about all these issues. And, and I, I, I don't have all the answers. And, and you've got a lot of you know, pushback and a, and a lot of questions about everything. And I'll do my best to help you understand those you know, from my perspective. But, but at, the, at the end of the day, here's what I know. I know that there's no other name that you can be saved and that you can go to heaven outside of knowing who Jesus is. And this is a compelling reason for you and I to allow Jesus to begin to change us and to develop us so that we can be men and women who can articulate the gospel, who can share what Christ has done in our life, that we can be bold enough, filled with the Holy Spirit, to be bold enough to have these conversations. And if someone yells or if someone laughs, so be it. We stood for Christ and we stood for truth. There are 4 billion people across the world today who do not know Jesus and they will spend an eternity in hell. We've got to care about that. 
If we don't get our act together, we don't, if we don't overcome our fear and selfishness and allow Jesus to begin to make us into a fisher of men, not only does our country continue to fall you know, further and further off the rails, but your own grandchildren and your great-grandchildren won't have a church like Foothills, won't have godly leaders in their life pouring into them if you and I don't get our, get our act together today. Statistics tell us that there are 3,000 ethnic people groups that are not only unreached around the world, but that there's no active organization, Christians trying to plant churches in those areas. That's incredible. 3,000 people groups. 81% of all Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists, 81% of those in that, those faith don't know one single Christian Shocking. It's estimated that there are 2 billion people who have still not heard the gospel today, even with technology, right? So what are we doing? We're so dialed in and focused on our agenda and our kingdom that we have not, not seen the bigger mission, that, that going home today is not just going home to sit on the couch, it's, it's walking onto your mission field that going to work tomorrow morning is not just earning you a paycheck, it's walking on the mission field. It's not just your kids are playing sports, but when you go to the gym and when you go to the park that you are walking into the mission field. God has changed your life. There is no other name apart from Jesus. And so it is our mission. We are compelled to share what he has done in our life. That's why we plant churches. That's why we start a church in Knoxville. It's why, God willing, we'll be able to do it in other cities in the near future. Why? Because without Jesus, people are lost, broken. And we have the hope of the gospel. We fish because people are lost. Let's keep reading in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They saw the miracle, so they, they couldn't argue it. And they were astonished by the, the, the boldness of Peter, right? They're astonished by this. And so, tell them I'll call them back later. <clears throat> so the second thing I want you to hear is when you're with Jesus, he makes you bold. When you're with Jesus, he makes you bold. When they saw the boldness, right? Let's see the words here. They saw the boldness of Peter and John. They perceived, they knew, okay, they were uneducated. Most of you went to high school and graduated from high school. Many of you got you know, college degrees and, 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 and master's and doctorate degrees, right? They were uneducated. They didn't go to school. They didn't go to preschool. Right? They were common men. They were ordinary guys. But they were astonished at the boldness that they had. Right, And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Right, That's the connection. You see, when you're with Jesus, he makes you bold. When you have a relationship with Jesus that is growing, when you are learning, when you are growing, when you are serving, it gives you a boldness. If there's no boldness, it probably means that 
you, you don't know how to articulate the gospel. It probably means that you don't know a lot about scripture. And so when we recognize that, we also tie it back to our purpose. The goal for Jesus is to make you a follower, to make you a fisher of men, right? And so we, we take the necessary steps to, to, to grow in that. And that's not going to seminary necessarily. That's, that's not, you know, reading 20 certain books. That, that is being with Jesus, right? Connecting with him, growing in your faith with him gives you boldness. That boldness flows from that relationship. And this boldness gave Peter and John this, this attention from this crowd. Like, how can these guys who didn't go to school, they don't have an education, how could they stand before us and, and be so confident in this Jesus? Remember, you're not, you're not responsible for the harvest, right? You're a gardener. I'm a gardener. We plant seeds. We nurture the, 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 the plant. God is in control of the harvest. He's in control of, of when someone actually comes to faith. Our role is to plant seeds. The Greek word behind the word boldness is parisia, and it means courage or boldness. I love how F.F. Bruce actually translates the, the, the word. He translates it freedom of speech, which resonates with Americans. We have freedom of speech, right? But does our speech ever include the gospel? Does it ever include what Jesus has actually done in our life? Excuse me. <clears throat> this past week, I was at the airport and I happened to be sitting uh, by a guy that, that came and he, he said, hey, can you turn the, the, the Boston game on? And so the, the, the TVs obviously are right there. And, and uh, the guy was like, yeah, it was so I, I was like, oh, I didn't know Boston was playing today. I'm thinking Boston Celtics, but evidently they have other sports up there in Boston. And uh, the Bruins were playing. I think that's the hockey team. I know. Any, is that right? Okay. So, so he wanted to watch the hockey. So that started the conversation. I, I, I just said, oh, you're, you're from Boston? Yeah, okay. Blah, blah, blah. You're a Celtics fan? Yeah, well, Celtics are playing. So just having a normal conversation. Uh, got learned that he had two kids in college and I've got one, one, one about to be. And, and so we, we just started talking about family and, and uh, weather and all the, all the normal niceties, right? <clears throat> and then he asked the dreaded question. The dreaded question for me, not necessarily for you, uh, but for me it is, so what do you do? Normal questions, right? Great conversation, but that gets thrown out there. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. And then it was like three minutes of silence. <laughs> it felt like 30 minutes. <clears throat> so I'm like, okay, I've got to say something else to kind of get the ball rolling again. And for me, it's sports. And so I went back to, went back to sports and basketball, and that kind of got the conversation going again. Niceties, niceties. And then he makes a comment, which I thought was interesting, but he was talking about how hard it is to be a parent Amen. And, and he said, but for you, it's easier, man. You just, you can have faith and you can just relax. <laughs> I said, well, I said, you know, faith means that we trust that God's going to do his part, but he still requires me to do my part. And so that's what faithfulness looks like, you know, for people who follow Jesus. And it was kind of like that 
you know, moment where it got serious, right? And then I had to come back and lighten the mood and, and uh, I had to go catch my flight. And so I, I left, but I say that just because last week I challenged you to have your spiritual conversation. I had mine. I hope you had yours. I hope you have one this week. And, and, and the reality for, for that conversation is that I wasn't like pulling my Bible out and going through the Roman road. That wasn't the time or the moment. The moment was to be a gardener and to plant some seeds and to let God fertilize that and grow that in his heart. I, I asked him if he went to church. I asked him if there were churches in his neighborhood and all of that, you know, was true. And so it's a spiritual conversation that, that, that leads uh, and, and, and allows the Holy Spirit then to, to grow that and nourish that, right? I trust that God is going to do his part. It, it, was, it was that kind of boldness that Peter's demonstrating. It's that kind of courage and boldness you and I need to demonstrate. The boldness obviously came from them being with Jesus. And so the question has to be, can people tell that you've been with Jesus? Does your language flow in such a way that people can tell that you love Jesus, that you're a follower of Jesus? And, and that should hit us all right in the heart, right in the eyes today, because it was clear for Peter and for John. Remember, this was the guy, this is Peter, who like eight, nine weeks ago was denying that he knew Jesus. And now all of a sudden, now he's bold standing before the Supreme Court. What happened? He had witnessed something. He'd experienced the power of Jesus. He didn't go to seminary. He witnessed the power of Jesus in his life. And you have as well. The sad reality, still some statistics for you, 29% of Southern Baptist churches reported zero baptisms. 47% of SBC churches reported two or less baptisms. And it's like, this is a huge issue. This is a huge issue for our country and for our, our nation. No, no wonder so much adversity is coming our way. And, and SBC churches are the highest, by the way. If I pulled any other, if I pulled the other denominations up here, it's tragically much lower. And so the reality is like, we're not, we're not having spiritual conversations. We're afraid for whatever reasons we, we, we have these um, things that hinder us from doing this. But if we're going to see thousands of people come to faith, then it's going to take millions of Christians like you and me having millions of conversations, spiritual conversations about God and about church and about Jesus and about the Bible. Not arguments, conversations. There's a difference, right? I'm not saying stand for a political stance or stand for a political ideal and argue for that. People without the Holy Spirit are not gonna receive things of the Spirit. They're not gonna receive that truth. And so the greatest need that they have is who is Jesus and what has he done? And if they reject, okay, that is their choice. But my job is to be a gardener, right? To till that ground, to plant those seeds. And that's what he's calling all of us to do. There's a famous quote from a, a priest named Francis of Assisi, St. Francis. And he's quoted as saying this, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Maybe you've seen an Instagram post about that. And, and uh, I guess his point was that we want to be an example for Jesus, right? So it's a, a good, sounds like a good flowery statement. Be, be an example for Jesus. And, and, but I have a problem with the quote. 
when necessary, he says, use words. There's, you're not making disciples if you are not verbally sharing the gospel. And so it is necessary to use words. Yes, of course, live a godly life. But if that's all you do, your close friends and neighbors and coworkers can still go to hell. You have to actually articulate it. You actually have to have a conversation. You must always, always, always articulate and speak verbally the gospel. It can't just be, look at how great my life is or look at me model Jesus. The result of being with Jesus is boldness and power to share. Let's keep reading and wrap it up. Verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these guys? What are we going to do with these guys? They're they're causing a scene. A notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Don't speak it. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. In other words, like, look, you have the authority here. And, 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 And you have the authority to put me back in jail. You can put me to death. You can torture me, right? They knew full well that could happen. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But as for them, for we cannot, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so when you've experienced Jesus, you can't keep quiet. When you've experienced the Holy Spirit of God, you can't stay quiet. You can't keep quiet. You, you, you talk about him. Right? You talk about what he's done for you. You talk about how he's changed you. It's not just a belief. It is, it is something that has changed your life and it's something that you have experienced. And so one of the things that we all have is a story. Every single one of us have a story about how God has saved us. If in fact, you are a follower of Jesus. And so nobody can argue with the fact that the man was healed, right? The, the, the leaders couldn't argue with that. Nobody can argue that your life was changed. Nobody can argue that your marriage was changed. Nobody can argue when one of your prodigal children comes to faith. No one can argue about how God has blessed your business. You can give God credit for every single one of them, your salvation, every blessing you have. That is your story. You're a witness. Share your story. Well, I want to argue about abortion. I'm about these trans. Let me just tell you how God has changed my life. Here's, here's how he's given me a healthy marriage. Here's how he's given me uh, my, my mental health, right? That's a buzzword today. Here's how he's strengthened me in that area. Some of you have never shared your story. Maybe you think it's boring, but any story that includes God changing you from a dead man to an alive man is a good story. <laughs> yeah, that is a good story. Share your story. Nobody can argue. Nobody's going to yell at you. No, no, nobody's going to argue. They can't. When you just simply said, here's who I was, and here's how God has changed my life. I'm not there yet. I got a lot, I got a lot of room to grow, but this is how he's changed me. I want to encourage you, 
to, to, to take a resource from us today. You can scan the QR code when the seat back um, in front of you. It's in Knoxville as well. Scan the QR code. It's on our app as well. But there's a My Story packet, essentially, that will help you articulate your story. Some good questions, some scripture there. If you walk through that, great thing, you know, for, for, for your family to do, your small group to do, walk through that and, and, and then write, essentially write out, type it out, write out your story. So that the next time you're sitting by John from Boston and the opportunity presents itself for you to have a conversation, you're gonna be able to say, oh yeah, I can, I remember I wrote this. Your story. There's also in the packet, there's a, a, a growth story. So how God has grown you. So it can help you articulate and help you share that with people as God gives you the opportunity. You see, when we have boldness like this, the world takes notice. In AD 404, John Chrysostom was before the Roman emperor Arcadius. And the emperor threatened him with banishment. And he said, if you remain a Christian, I'm gonna banish you. And John responded, you cannot banish me for this world is my father's house. The emperor said, but I will kill you. And he said, no, you cannot for my life is hid with Christ. He said, I will take away your treasures. And John said, no, you cannot for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. The emperor said, but I will drive you away from your friends and you will have no one left. And John said, you cannot, but I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you for there is nothing you can do to harm me. There is nothing anyone can do to harm us. When, when we are presenting the gospel, when we live for Christ, whether it's, whether it's the worst of the worst thing that we can think about, no one can separate you from Christ. Your home is eternally secure with Him. The end of this story in Acts 4 is that they all go back to this room that John and Peter and some of the other disciples and they pray. And their prayer wasn't like, God, protect us from the persecution. God, help us not to have anybody upset with us. Their prayer was for boldness. <laughs> their prayer was, God, give us boldness in the face of adversity to share the gospel. Give us boldness, right? This is why we gotta keep our eye on the ball. We need boldness. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. God has changed you. It's time for you to start talking about how good your God is. Would you be so bold as to pray this prayer with me today as we close? Let's bow our heads. Let's tell the Lord this, this morning. Just tell him right now. Just say, God, give me boldness in the face of adversity to share the gospel. Give me boldness in the face of adversity to share the gospel. Tell him again, just say, God, give me boldness in the face of adversity to share the gospel. God, we pray that you would give us opportunities to share our faith this week. I pray that you would give every man, woman, teenager, and child 
the boldness to talk about how good you are. To be able to have conversations with people around spiritual things, God. We're not, we're not trying to persuade someone on a political uh, point. But Lord, we want to persuade people that Jesus is the answer. And so God, I pray that you would raise up leaders and followers of Jesus in Foothills Church that wouldn't be afraid any longer, that wouldn't be timid any longer. Maybe, may we walk closely with you, that you would give us the strength and the boldness and the courage to share our faith with our family and our friends, our coworkers, strangers. It's all about you, Jesus. And so we pray for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.